ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Nobody likes our tax system. Everyone thinks that they pay too much and that others don't pay enough. Governments love cutting taxes, but that makes it harder to pay for everything that they have to provide. Is there any possibility that our our tax system... Is there any possibility that our tax system could be made fairer and easier? We're going to talk about that this morning and we'd love your contributions as well. You can call us 1300 800 222 1300 800 222 or you can text 0467 922 Our guest is Professor Chris Evans. He's Emeritus Professor of Taxation and former head of the Australian School of Taxation at the University of New South Wales. If I read out his qualifications, we would be here all night. Let's just say that what he doesn't know about tax isn't worth worrying about. And uh, Professor Evans, a very good morning and welcome to the program. And good morning to you, Rod, as well. Thank you very much. Let's start with some basic ideas to get our head around the tax system. Because most of us are just PAYE, pay-as-you-earn or pay-as-you-go contributors to the tax system. How much of the the burden of the Australian tax system falls onto people like us? Yeah, compared to um, most other OECD countries, quite a lot. About 40% of the total tax revenue in Australia comes from personal income taxpayers but another 20% from the corporate income taxpayers, and then obviously the other 40% comes from everything else in terms of tax. So it's relatively quite high on personal tax, but that needs a a few qualifications as well. Because in Australia, we don't have what a lot of other countries have, which is something called social security contributions, or in the UK, they're called national insurance contributions. And that in most other countries, that sort of boosts up the personal income tax side so they get a little bit closer to Australia's 40%. But but basically, we rely quite heavily on income taxes in Australia. We pay a Medicare levy, and we'll talk about that in um, perhaps more detail later, and that's one of the few parts of the tax system where you know that when you pay a certain amount it is going towards something i presume it doesn't just go into consolidated revenue uh, <laughs> or does it tell me <laughs> you might be a little bit surprised there I'm not yeah surprised. we call it um in the in the parlance in the jargon it's a hypothecated tax so it's it's supposed to be dedicated to a particular purpose as you say med- me- health medicare that sort of thing in fact that's the theory in practice it sort of goes into consolidated revenue or it is able to be accessed in consolidated revenue. So not quite as pure as we would hope, but still better than than, than, it, than it could be. But the ones that you're talking about, and I know you obviously you're very much part of the tax system in the UK as well, that, that what you're talking about there with their uh, you know, social security or that, that sort of uh, uh, part of the tax system does that money all go into that or is that also going into consolidated revenue no i'm afraid it, it it tends to be to go into consolidated so the government can can use it for what they want to use it for um the bulk of it still goes towards health but but it is in consolidated now one of the constant complaints we get is that big businesses multinationals don't pay their fair share is that fair to say 
Um, it's probably not unfair to say it. I'll qualify it slightly. Um, some of the large corporations in Australia um, pay a lot of corporate income tax. About, as I said, about 20% of the total tax revenues in Australia. And we're talking there about $700 billion. So about 20% comes from the corporate sector. And they pay at a tax rate of usually 30%, can be less than that if it's a so-called smaller business. Um, and so they make a fairly hefty contribution to the tax coffers. Um, but there are arguments that it could be a lot more. Um, and of that 20% that comes in from the corporate sector, you tend to find that the biggies, the BHPs, TNTs, those, uh, uh, th th those sorts of yep. uh, corporations pay a lot more than most. What about those international corporations who make money in Australia but are uh, headquartered elsewhere? Are they paying their fair share? And what would happen to the PAYE people if those multinationals were paying the, their fair share of tax. Okay, yeah, there's certainly a lot of um, purely, absolutely legal tax avoidance going on around the world. And as you say, with um, international tax, it's been particularly difficult. There have been some good moves in the last, well, probably 10 years to try and make those um, tax-dodging corporations um, shoulder their fair share um, and the OECD and the, the, the G20 economies have been leading on that and they've got about 145 countries around the world all to agree on a couple of initiatives which um, will make it much more difficult for those um, global companies to avoid tax and one of the things that they've got is, is a global minimum tax. It's only 15% but if you find that a, a global corporation is paying um, less than, than, than that 15% rate, they're at least going to be brought to book by having to pay at that 15%. So they're sort of slowly picking up on those. There's a whole load of other anti-avoidance measures as well that have been brought in over the years to try and stop it. But there's no doubt that um, global corporations are able to switch their residences um, almost at will in order to take advantage of the best tax deals that are going around the world. But if those corporations did pay what we consider to be their fair share of tax, would that make any difference? How much more would it bring into the, the tax base, into the, the tax pool, as it were? Um, and would it that would be just extra money the government could spend rather than reducing taxes for everyone else. But how much more money would it bring in, do you think? Would it actually make a discernible difference? And, um, I think if, if these measures that the OECD and G20 are successful, and I, I tend to be a bit of a cynic because they, they tried to do it back in the 90s, they tried to do it in the early 2000s, and um, the corporations were far too cunning for them. Hmm. But if they were to succeed, yes, it would reduce or it could reduce the tax burden. As you say, the government might just decide to, to use it elsewhere and not reduce the tax burden on personal income taxpayers. Um, but but it certainly if they could catch it and if they are successful, the overall tax burden on Australian personal taxpayers could, could be reduced. Graham has texted in and says, I don't object to paying tax, but what I do object to is the number of corporates who pay none at all via various loopholes in the law created by our own government 
that allows them to get away with it. You've talked about that a little bit, but, I mean, can we close those loopholes? Graham's got a good point, and and yes, we can. I think with the political will, it is possible to begin closing those loopholes. Um, And, you know, Graham's initial point is absolutely right. Taxes is the price we pay for a civilized society. You know, it's a, it's an old chestnut, but it's absolutely true. I don't mind paying taxes either. I just want to make sure that everybody is paying their fair share. Um, and there are some very big loopholes in the corporate sector and in our you know personal tax system as well. I think people don't mind paying tax. Uh, Greg in Perth says, I do not I do not pay too much tax, and I believe the calls for ever lower taxes are pernicious and juvenile selfishness. For example, how are we supposed to fund our failing hospitals? That's certainly one way. But, of course, a lot of people confuse what federal government pays for and what the state governments pay for. And the states have a different kind of tax system altogether, don't they? Yeah, the... the I mean, our overall tax system consists of income taxes, which generally are levied at the federal level. Um, Goods and services, or consumption taxes, we call them, including the specific goods and service tax, which is levied at the federal level, level, but which all of the money of which goes to the states and territories. Um, And then you've got various property taxes and a variety of others. State state tax base, apart from the money they get from the GST, um, comprises uh, things like payroll taxes, uh, which all of the states levy sort of anything between five seven percent um on uh their sort of on the payroll as, as it suggests there um and, and also you've got property taxes of various sorts that belong to the states so whether that's stamp duty or land taxes or at, a, at the more local level the rates and so on we've got plenty of people that would like to talk to you uh chris evans <laughs> professor chris evans is our guest uh, we've got michael in rose bay hello michael oh, oh good afternoon thanks for taking my call i just paid my 2024 land tax bill which increased by 25 percent and it's now a hundred percent of my rental income now i don't mind paying tax but when it comes down to a hundred percent I think it's getting just a little bit excessive. Just explain that again. So the amount that you receive in rent from this property... It all goes in land tax this year. How much was the land tax, Michael? Can you tell us? Oh, I can. It was $115,000. $115,000, and that's what you get. So... This is in Rose Bay, which is very that's nice right, suburb yes, that's in right. Sydney. Why and, uh, is it so... You know, I can't evict perfectly decent people sure. and, and sell the, the properties off to developers. Okay, so why is it so much? Because the land values are so high and the rental va- uh, the land values are so high in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Mm. All right, Chris. That's, yeah, no, that certainly does sound incredible. It it makes me wonder whether the rent is appropriate if, if you're losing so much in uh, paying tax on it. Um, I think, you know, with, without knowing the specifics, and I'd really stress I'm probably not a land tax expert either. Um, you know, I tend to deal mainly with the federal taxes, yeah. but uh, it, it does sound quite extraordinary. I'd be looking into that quite carefully to find out what's going on there. Uh, Michael, so your, rent, your, your tenants are paying $115,000 a year in, in rent? Uh, yes, yes. Wow, all righty. Well. Well, you know, and uh, the thing is, you see, I can't increase their rents 25%. No, 
Because my land tax know. bill in, in three years, I don't know if you know how it works in New South Wales, but there's a three-year averaging. And so in over three years, it's gone up 50%. But I can't uh, increase rents by 50%. Uh, all right. And the other thing, of course, is the residential uh, rents, you can't pass on the GST because the, the Australian Democrats, when the GST came, exempted um, residential properties from the GST. So I have to pay the GST, but I can't claim it. Mm. All right, yeah. Michael. Well, that sounds horrendous. But uh, Chris Evans, I guess, from New South Wales University School of Business, uh, emeritus Professor of Tax. So this is the problem, isn't it? One of the problems with the fact that the the states have a very limited way of raising tax revenue. It's through charges, like you know, when you register your car or uh, stamp duty, which we might get onto later, or land tax. Is there an alternative to uh, you know the onerous land tax that poor old Michael's paying? Um, well, some some countries um, also levy an income tax at the state or the provincial level. So if you go to, say, Canada or the United States, you, you find that in addition to your national income tax, there's a sort of uh, a piggyback from the, the local province or the local state that adds on an income tax bill. So you can look at that as an alternative. But as I've said, given that we've already, I think, we overuse income taxes in Australia. Um, I'm not sure that that would be a sensible solution in the Australian context. Yeah. Um, it generally tends to be property. Um, you can have a, a, a whole mix of you know, other local taxes, um, but property tends to be the main one, which certainly in the Australian context you come to. Um, and, uh, you know, so I don't think there's an easy, quick fix in terms of finding alternatives. All right. Uh, Sue in Mudgee says it's a privilege to pay tax and I should make a contribution to the well-being of my society. Uh, I just uh, will get to a few callers. We'll talk to Callum now in Newcastle. Hello, Callum. How's it going? Good, mate. You've got a view I think that a lot of people would share. What would you like to say? Yeah, well, my main issue is that I don't mind paying tax. I don't. Think, I agree with a lot of. I'm sure, a lot of people agree with that. It's just where it's being spent, and why does the government get to choose where it goes? What would you have? How would you have it work? Well, like your your producer actually made a very good point. He said, um, "Why why are we buying bloody nuclear submarines when we got schools that have been hospitals that are falling apart?" Yeah. So, like, you riddled me that. Okay. What are we going to do? Go blow up some ships that are often God knows where, that we're not going to worry about here. But um, you can't fix our own schools and our own hospitals to keep people alive, to keep people educated. Callum, yeah. I appreciate that, and thank you very much for that. And again, I think a lot of people agree with you. Chris Evans is with us. Chris, I mean, this is again, I mean, talking about nuclear subs is one thing, but a lot of people don't like the way the government wastes our money. You, and Callum makes a very, very good point there. Uh, it, it's interesting because I've actually got um, a PhD student who's looking into exactly that issue and trying to work out whether if we had a system, and it's called participatory budgeting, where people had a say in where the money goes. Now, you know, it's a difficult one to work, but it has happened at a local level around the world, um, in Brazil, in New York, in, in London, um, even in parts of Australia at a very local level. But so having some say in where the money goes um, might make people 
less concerned and more happy, if you can be happy as far as tax is concerned, um, with with what we do with, with the taxes that come in. So, you know, it's very much on the agenda. It's a good point that Callum's making. All right. Uh, and again, we should point out, you know, mostly schools are funded at the state level, not at the federal level. There is, of course, uh, federal funding for schools, but it mostly comes from at the state level. And that's the same with hospitals as well. So when people say we spend more on schools and hospitals, is there any guarantee, though, Chris, that if the money was not the billions and billions, tens of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions that would be spent on these nuclear submarines, for example, that if they weren't being spent on that, it would be spent on something else? Yeah. Again, you've got to put it into context. About 60%, 61% of all government spending, so this is talking about all tiers of government, um, tends to go to the big three, which is social security and welfare, health and education. So most money is being spent in those areas. When you come to the next five or six, and that includes defense as one of them, it's relatively small amounts going. Now, you know, the AUKUS submarines on their own sound like an awful lot, but defense is amongst, well, along with transport, along with public order, housing, public oh, interest, um, is one of the, the lesser um, yeah. government governmental payments you know all those together only comprise about 30 percent so you know yeah. uh, well i mean just context. an example of that is rebuilding the sydney football stadium which only i mean i say <laughs> only it cost yeah a little bit over a billion dollars or something or whatever it was that's a rounding figure really a rounding error in a state budget uh you know i i think they you know, quite rightly uh built it that's fine but whether they would have spent that money on schools and hospitals is another matter altogether, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the, the difficulty with all government spending is that they're all bottomless pits. You know, everybody's got a really good case yes. for everything to be spent on them. Um, and, you know, that's why we elect governments. We, we choose how they're going to spend it. Um, and, you know, my preference would be obviously health, education, uh, welfare, those sorts of things, um, and less on defence, but others will have different choices. All right, let's talk to Ross in Perth. Hello, Ross. Hello, Ross. All right, Ross in Perth says the tax system is unnecessarily complex. I want an increase in the GST so that everyone pays it. I want to see a flat tax rate across the board for everyone. And that is often dismissed, the flat tax, because it's a regressive tax, doesn't matter how much you earn, everyone's paying the same percentage. But the GST is a flat tax. Why can't income tax also be a flat tax? Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the GST is um, a flat tax and it is regressive. Uh, regressive, you know, has a bad name. It doesn't matter if a part of your tax system is regressive, so long as overall your tax system is not regressive. I mean, we've generally got this notion that those who have a greater ability to pay should pay more. And that's the notion of pro progressivity rather than regressivity. Um, so, so having a part of your tax system that is regressive doesn't matter so long as overall you end up 
progressive. Um, flat taxes are difficult. The, the danger with a flat tax is that if you've got a flat tax for your income tax and a flat tax for your GST, then overall your tax system is going to be regressive. And regressive means that those at the bottom of the pile pay disproportionately more um, so, I mean, think of GST, 10% on a loaf of bread. Well, if it were on a loaf of bread, it, 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 it isn't. But if, if uh, for a pauper, that 10% on a loaf of bread is, is critical for Gina Reinhardt, it probably doesn't matter too much that she's paying an extra few cents on a loaf of bread. Um, so... Okay, but can I just ask about this? If someone earns 100000 a year and the flat tax is 20%, they're paying twenty percent. They're paying twenty thousand dollars in yeah. tax. If someone earns two hundred thousand dollars, they're paying forty thousand dollars in tax. They are paying more. They're paying more, but relatively disproportionately, they're well, paying. Well, they're still paying more. I don't. I don't think it matters whether it's proportional or not. They are. You are getting more money yeah. out of them. Because those that earn more, more probably have better accountants and maybe, in fact, paying less than the people who don't have a good accountant. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know. I, has anyone actually ever tried a flat tax? Oh, yes. My goodness. Okay. Um, particularly post-Soviet era in Eastern Europe around there, um, Estonia. Um, famously was one of the first, Latvia, um, a few countries like that. And they started off very well. So their VAT, which is the equivalent of the GST, um, was the same rate as their income tax, which is the same rate as everything else. And it all looked hunky-dory for a while, and they found out we're not getting enough money. Um, you know, it simply doesn't work. You end up with a flat tax rate of 70% to bring in what you want. Well, you know, who wants who wants everybody to be losing 7 7 cents in the dollar just doesn't make sense okay. so where it has been tried it hasn't been uh, tremendously successful which is why you tend to get a mix um, you get the GST which as I say in Australia 10% um, you, you get progressive income taxes and then you get a variety of other taxes okay. some of which are progressive some of which are proportional and some of which are regressive was is with us good I was Morning, Rod, again, um, and good morning, Chris. Now, hey Rod, there, this might, surprise, this might actually surprise you a little bit, Rod. I'm actually a part owner in a small um, accountancy firm up in Queensland. Mm -hmm. Now, my wife's a chartered accountant, and Chris would know, as as he would know, there's two types of accountants. There's a certified practicing accountant, and there's a chartered accountant. There's two types of accountants. Now, unfortunately, we get a lot of people come to us and they have um, tax issues. They're either getting audited or something or other. And Melissa gets handed all their uh, records and things like that, and it's a dog's breakfast. And she has to go through and sort yeah. it all out and try and get her, get these people out of paying uh, vast amounts of tax, which nine times out of ten she can't help them out. But some, some accounts just uh, unfortunately just don't, really understand this tax system themselves but the tax system is quite complicated and if you if you don't have a decent accountant that can become a real minefield like um, mate we do we do individual returns we do small businesses and we have got about six or seven big corporates we look after and um, 
without the right accountant, it could be an absolute yeah. nightmare. And no one wants to pay any more tax than they're obligated to. No, that's you know, exactly like, I right. Paying, I don't mind paying tax. I and mean, Chris would know himself. He, you know, well, people don't mind paying tax, but you don't want to pay any more tax. So if you're going to have it, have your tax done, get someone decent that knows what they're doing okay. to do your tax. It's the only advice I can put forward. All right. Thank you very much for that, Was, And that's good advice, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, it's absolutely the case. And and what was uh, fixes on there is very important. We do have in Australia one of the most complex tax systems in the world. Um, most of my research since I've been here in Australia from, from the early 90s has been about the complexity of the Australian tax system and how we can simplify it. So I have to probably confess that my research life has been a total failure because <laughs> it's, it's just got worse. Um, we've made lots of sensible suggestions. Um, as to how it could be made simpler um, and you know particularly in terms of personal income taxpayers um, but but unfortunately um, those haven't been taken up we we continue to run with a system that's probably not fit for purpose in in many senses and I would I mean, it's interesting because income tax on its own is complicated but then when you add on some of the features that we've got in Australia um, you can see why I think it was Albert Einstein who turned around and said, the only thing I don't understand or the most complicated thing yeah. in my life is the income tax. Um, and he was absolutely spot on. And if he was in Australia, he'd probably be double saying it. All right. Alan wants to talk about uh, a debit tax. Hello, Alan. G'day. How are you, how are you going, Rod? Oh, very well. Thanks. We've got uh, Professor Chris Evans with us as well. What would you like to talk about? Good morning, uh, Rod and Chris. I've got to say that. Hello, mate. I've got this uh, uh, piece of paper in front of me. It's about 20-something years old, and there was a financial person in Queensland named Noel Whitaker. And I cut it out, and I've got a copy <laughs> here. And just quickly, and he was just saying, he worked out his figures initially on a, a third of a percent of tax. But he said if we ran it up to, we'll say, 1%, a person earning 50000 a year would pay 500 tax instead of fourteen, and the take-home pay would increase by 13 half. A small business with turnover of 400000 a year would pay 4000 in tax and there'd be no FBT, capital gains, payroll or whatever tax or stamp duty. The price of petrol would halve as excise would be abolished and Australia would become a duty-free company, a country. Now, this proposal, and this is around the time of Peter Costello, he laughed it off and said, if it was just so simple, some people would already done it. So he referred it to his top people in the tax system who he said they would shoot this down. They couldn't. In fact, the woman said and she was intrigued by the idea. Now, all I'm saying is there is probably other simpler ways of doing it, but, but the, the trouble is the persons who don't pay tax would then have to pay every time money shifts around the country, uh, a 1% or half a percent would, would, would touch it, uh, Rod, and uh, okay. all of a sudden, yeah, there'd be a lot of money there. Mm. All right, Chris. Just explain yeah. what Alan was talking about. Well, um, I, I suspect what we're talking about here is a tax on bank transactions, a debit tax. Is that is that right, Alan? Yeah, that's correct, Chris. Yeah. Chris, yeah. 
Um, and, you know, I think I would probably follow Noel's advice on that, which is if it was that simple, it would have been done by now. Um, it's not just that there are vested interests who are going to be against it and who are going to stop it happening. It, it's simply, I mean, for example, not all transactions go through banks. I mean, OK, um, many, many will. And probably as we go further forward into the digital world, all will. Um, it, but, but, but it's also that you can find all sorts of reasons um, why it's not going to capture everything that you want to capture. So, um, I mean, without knowing the full details, I couldn't say, but but I'm inclined to agree, no, there's there's no, you know, silver, is it silver bullet? Magic silver pudding, bullet. Whatever, yeah. Magic well, pudding. Whatever is, well, there is a magic pudding as well. Oh, is there one? Well, we contribute to it, the magic pudding... Uh, well, it didn't matter how many slices you took from it, it kept replenishing itself, and that's exactly what happens with us. We the keep paying system. that tax, exactly. Yeah. Um, All right. Adam says when the largest companies in Australia have a tax rate of 30% and smaller companies 27.5%, that is why the highest income earners in Australia in the PAYG system should be similarly paying 30%. Don't knock the high-income earners. Well, I don't think we were doing that. But, I mean, why is it that companies pay a lower percentage than individuals? Yeah. Um, well, I, I suppose that the short answer to that is that the we want to attract those companies to Australia. And if you've got a high tax rate, um, and there were some very high tax rates in the past for corporations, um, it's unlikely that they're going to want to pay tax in Australia. And Corporations are much more mobile than people. People can be mobile, but corporations are far more mobile. So the danger is with a high tax rate, you're not going to uh, attract your foreign direct investment and all that sort of stuff. Okay. So, but, but the other side of the coin is, well, why in that case don't we bring back down the top rate uh, for personal tax to 30%. And in a sense, we've sort of been slowly moving towards that. I mean, if I think back to when I started tax in the UK, um, the top rate of tax was 98%. So you could lose 98 pence in the pound, 98 cents in the dollar um, from your income. Now, that only cut in um, at a point where your income was already massive. That's outrageous. Um, but nonetheless, um, it is an outrageous rate of tax. It was 83% on the income tax and then 15% if there was any investment income included in, in that income. So um, we've moved away from there. And, you know, when you look around the world, you can find the odd place where it's still 60% or 50s for individuals. Most have come down into the 40s and some into the 30s. Um, so there has been a shift over the last 40, 50 years okay. down in terms of those top personal income tax rates. Yes. Uh, John says we had transaction taxes in the 80s and 90s. They went when the GST came in. Um, other people say uh, big companies pay less tax because they have accountants on site doing their work all the time and they pay top dollar to those people. That's exactly right as well. Mm -hmm. um, Jenny in Basel in Switzerland says, I live in Basel City, Canton in Switzerland, where there is a flat income tax of 22% seems to work though the cost of living is very high here 
Uh, and if I could just say there as well to, I think it was Jenny in Basel, wasn't it? Yes. Um, I don't know whether Basel is one of the cantons that has a wealth tax, but um, Switzerland is one of only three countries in the OECD where there are, there is a wealth tax. So um, it may well be what you gain on the swings, you lose on the roundabouts. Switzerland is an almost wholly decentralised system when it comes to tax utilities services, health, etc. Um, another, uh, Bernie says, is the ATO a private company? <laughs> Do you know, I came across a, a private company called ATO, which was owned by one of the big mining firms, but it's not <laughs> that ATO. Um, no, it's, it's not a private company, and uh, long may it not be a private company. It's actually a bunch of, I would have to say, having been involved in training some of them, a bunch of dedicated public servants who, who do their best in, in quite uh, difficult circumstances exactly. with the odd rotten apple. We've got 20 minutes before the latest ABC News and Professor Chris Evans is with us explaining the tax system for us in Australia. Dean says, why doesn't the government index our taxable income by the inflation rate to stop bracket creep? Absolutely. Why? Well, some countries do. Um, some countries did. Uh, we did very, very briefly um, in the 70s, I'm guessing, but it was before I arrived here anyway. Um, and the short answer is we should. You know, bracket creep is a disgrace. Um, fiscal drag, you know, whatever you call it. Um, it just means that people are dragged into higher tax brackets than they ought to be um, if those tax brackets were properly indexed. Um, we haven't indexed our tax brackets, um, or sorry, we haven't changed our tax brackets uh, for about five years now. And the great thing from a politician's point of view is it allows them to pretend we're getting a tax cut. We're not. Mm. We're, get, we're getting back what we shouldn't have paid in the first place. Um, so I'm absolutely 100% behind that. Why do we not index our tax brackets? Here's another great point. Uh, companies that replace employees, good employees, with self-serve and automation should make up the PAYE tax that is then missed. How about that? If you go to a supermarket and suddenly there's a whole lot of the self-service checkout rather than people uh, behind the cash register, yeah, those companies need to pay tax on those self-service checkouts, surely. Yeah. Well, you know, int interestingly, about 10 years ago, I was in South Africa talking to one of my colleagues over there, and she wanted to do some work on taxing robots. And I just laughed out loud. <laughs> you know, no way. And, of course, it's now become a bit of a lively topic. And, yeah. you know, it, instead of taxing labour, you start taxing capital. Um, and, you know, that may be an appropriate way to go. So it, it's not as far-fetched as, as we, we might have wanted thought. Uh, Grey Man says, I wonder if it's the same people that complain about the health system that complain about paying too much tax. Another comment <laughs> is, the most unfair tax is the tax on subsequent jobs. It discourages hard work. Each job you work should have a tax-free th threshold. Did you want to comment on that? Oh, that's, that's an interesting one. And in fact, in a couple of European countries, they have done that. In Belgium, I think they experimented with it. So second jobs, um, you're allowed to earn, you know, X number of euros before um, you had to pay tax on it. Um, Germany did something similar. Um, it's a sort of interesting idea, but 
with all of your tax changes, you've always got to be conscious conscious of the unintended consequences of the behavioral responses because you know we're we're not we're not idiots. Um, it may well be that if you're going to say I'm, I can have an 18,200 tax-free threshold for each job that I go in for, I'll just split my one job into 10 jobs if I've got the ability to do that, which of course people do have the ability, particularly um, in say a self-employed capacity. I'll just say, oh, well, this job is that and that job is that and this job is another one. So, you know, give me as many tax-free thresholds as I can get exactly. my hands on. Mm. So it, it, it could be abused. Jenny uh, says, yes, Basel City does have a wealth tax. Steve in Cairns has an interesting question. G'day, Steve. Hello. Yes, mate. What would you like to know? Yeah, good morning. Yes. Um, look, uh, last year my father passed away and I inherited uh, uh, one Bitcoin. Um, and uh-huh. I'm, I'm not really um, up, up to the speed on tax and stuff, but um, is it taxable? Do they, does, will the government tax it if I take that out? Oh, gosh. You're in a really um, new and grey and exciting area there in terms of the tax. The short answer is to the extent that you make a profit on it. So, for example, you will have inherited it with a a cost base. Um, You know, it was worth so much when your dad passed away. Um, And then you sell it for more than that. Then potentially capital gains could apply. You're you're not a trader in bitcoins from what you say. So it's not going to be business income, but it could be a capital gain um, in respect. that. But there's nothing on the inheritance itself. We don't have death duties or estate taxes or anything like that in Australia, not since Joe Bielke-Peterson anyway. But mm. um, but we do have um, a capital gains tax, which might well charge you. And depending on how long you kept hold of that property, and, and by the way, I'm not giving tax advice here. No, we so, should point out that anything yeah. that Chris says is of a general nature and you will yeah. need to talk to your own accountant. By the way, one Bitcoin today is worth a tick under... Eighty thousand dollars Australian, yeah, Steve. Yeah, she was a she was a tick over eighty thousand yesterday. So and what? How much did your father pay for it? Oh, my dad. When he paid for it, was about three hundred dollars a bitcoin. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, you got a dad yeah, who was and, ahead and of his time. He, he was, and he he told us about it years ago, and we just went, oh yeah, well you know, it's another one of these new things. I'm not going to touch it. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, he passed away, but he had this uh, this one bitcoin, and, and luckily, before he did, um, he he said, and you know, you need to need to get this and uh, and put it into your uh, into a you know. Uh, uh, digital wallet and it's yours <clears throat> interesting so, yeah. alright Steve we'll talk to your accountant about it they'll know but boy the capital gains on $300 to 80000 That's uh there are very few items that are going to go up that much in value uh, aren't they Chris yeah to, to be fair, um, it'll probably be picked up at its market value at the date of death rather than okay, at its right. original cost. I'm not sure. It would depend very much on the circumstances there, so okay. we'd have to check on it. And once again, we just say yeah. uh, consult uh, your local accountant. Okay, now we should point out there are people asking about this, and I'll finally get to this. 
and that is about uh, the big three, really. What about negative gearing, franking credits and capital gains tax? Why am I paying for the privileged landlords, says Matthew. What difference would it make if there was no negative gearing or there was perhaps negative gearing on one property that you could have as an investment but not more than one or maybe it is progressive and you might pay more or you know you might pay more tax or you get less of a negative gearing on subsequent properties what difference would it make well i think possibly quite a considerable difference certainly in terms of housing inequality and housing affordability and those sorts of things negative gearing's quite unique to australia i mean i was staggered when i came and found that you know i could borrow uh, a lot of money, buy some shares or buy a property um, and get a complete write-off for that interest against my salary income. Now, most countries allow you a deduction um, for your interest expense or your other you know, maintenance expenses of your property and so on, but they quarantine it against your investment income or they quarantine it against that particular property or those particular shares. Australia's as far as I know, the only country in the world that actually allows you to set it off against total income, against any other form of income. Now, in a sense, that wouldn't be too bad if that was just the end of the story, but it's not. Because having given you this 100% deduction against total other income, um, we then say, ah, but if your asset appreciates in value when you sell it, so let's say it's an investment property, you bought it for 300000 you sell it for 600000 in those circumstances, we won't charge 100% of the capital gain, the 300000 we'll give you a free hit with a 50% discount, so we'll only charge you for 150000 or whatever your marginal rates are. Um, so it's the it's the... Um, confluence of the two things um, that make negative gearing particularly worrying in an Australian context. If, you know, by all means, I would say, you know, negative gearing on new build is, is a very sensible idea. Negative gearing restricted to, you know, one property may well be a good idea. Neg negative gearing, which can only be set off against your other investment income, would be a good idea. Um, but to give it this sort of complete free-for-all that we've got in Australia, mm. um, and then to only tax the capital gains at half what we yeah. should be taxing them, that's what doesn't work for me. Um, how important and influential do you think it is that uh, so many of our federal politicians who make <laughs> the laws about this all have investment properties? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm afraid that may be a part of it. Of course, they're not self-serving. We all know that. Yeah. Um, but, but um, you know, it, it certainly has to create some bias in terms of what you're likely or not likely to do in your parliamentary role i don't know okay. look you know i think there's some very good people there and there's some not so good people there uh, at the well not the last election the election before franking credits were a big issue even though most people didn't understand them i certainly don't and they weren't even eligible for them. So what happened there? And how different would it be? How much money would come into the tax pool Ooh. if franking credits were changed or, or abandoned? Okay. Um, Frank, the idea of a franking credit is basically to stop double taxation. Um, a corporation pays tax in its own right on its profits. Okay. So having paid that tax, and it then makes distributions 
we call them dividends, out to its shareholders. The shareholders receive those dividends with the benefit of a franking credit. If um, they need to pay tax, the franking credit's usually worth 30%. If they have to then pay tax, they get a credit for that 30% um, against any tax liability. So if they're only a 30% tax rate taxpayer, they've got no more to pay. The tax has been paid. So they're not paying double tax on, on or the, you know, the company's not paying and then the shareholder's not paying. It's all fair and income. But if, on the other hand, their tax rate is higher than 30%, um, in those circumstances, um, they'll have to pay a top-up tax on, on the dividends. Again, that's fair. The, the difficulty comes with refundable franking credits, and this is where somebody may have a relatively low income, and they're able to claim back, get a refund of, the franking credit paid by the company. Um, and that's where it sort of differs, again, a little bit in Australia compared to many other countries with what's called this imputation system, um, where a lot of those other countries don't allow the franking credits to be refunded. Um, they say, well, no, you know, that's that's a fate. It's not going to be double taxation, so we're not going to do it. Um, so that, in a nutshell, is what franking credits are all about. In terms of how much you would bring in, I'm afraid I don't have any idea. I'd probably have to go back to to look at those, the, the debates back in the, well, before the last election, before the two shortened sure, elections, yeah. um, to find that. All right. Sonia says, uh, what about all the income generated by the online selling platforms? At present, this seems to be going under the radar. Do you think this will or could be traced and taxed? Yeah, um, this is a sort of tax compliance issue. You know, are, are we all complying? Because that income is taxable. If you make a profit on Gumtree or Marketplace or wherever it is you're selling um, the, the, these things, then you should. Um a lot of it is caught by the tax office. So they ha sometimes have arrangements with the platforms whereby the platforms have to disclose um, the amounts of revenue earned by individual players on that platform. Um, so thinking there, for example, Airbnb, stays those sorts of things um i'm not sure about the smaller ones but you can be sure that if there is if there are considerable sums of money involved which make it worthwhile chasing then the tax office would be looking into it if there are you know insignificant sums i mean we we just downsized recently and we we put my wife put a few things um on some of the selling platforms and i think you know we, we got 30 dollars for this and 10 dollars for that um to be honest it would not be worth the hassle yeah. of trying okay. because i'm a good tax professor i'm telling her that <laughs> she's going to put that in her tax return okay all right uh george good morning oh good morning what and good morning, Chris. A question, um, George. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, a question, if you can. I know we don't yeah. have a lot of time, and I'm sorry we've yeah. kept you waiting. But uh, well, well, it's it's, it's about the. Uh, I'll try to keep it short. Please I, keep I, it short. The, the the regressivity in the tax system that Chris was talking about, I, I think, is far greater because there's so many things that aren't uh, taken into account. I think I I, I talked to you about that. Anglicare cost of poverty uh, report that came out recently showing how poor people pay more for insurance, usually for fuel costs because they're driving uh, more or less fuel efficient cars. Yeah. Have you got a question though, George? Yeah, please. well, well the, the, I'll just use the examples there to show you. The, uh, those things I think could be considered a poverty tax in a sense because they're extra costs that those people have to pay. Um, there's also the, the things like uh, the most gambling uh, licensed clubs are based in poor areas. Uh, poorer people tend to smoke more, drink more, so they pay all those 
taxes on alcohol and cigarettes and so forth, as we know, are rising. So I was just wondering if Chris knows if there's uh, any kind of research being done on that kind of uh, okay. uh, uh, disparity between uh, what poor people pay in terms of cost of living and uh, what uh, are virtual okay. taxes, you might call it. All right, okay, thanks very much. Yeah. I mean, they taxes that people choose area. to pay. Yeah, go on. Yeah. No, it's a it's a well researched area. Both you know, New Zealand, uh, Australia um, have have looked at that, and it is absolutely the case. The points you make are, are well made. But that's taxes people choose to pay by drinking, smoking, paying poker machines, whatever. They don't have to do that, and obviously, some people, you know, are addicted to them. We understand that, but most people are not, and yet they choose to do it. Um, in in again, in the jargon, we call those sin taxes. Mm. All right, Alan. Uh, good morning, Alan in Banawa. Good morning. Um, look, if you buy something online from the biggest warehousing company in Australia and you use PayPal to pay it, you can see where the billing company is. And when that billing company is in Luxembourg, Luxembourg is a tax haven. Mm. So your payment goes directly it reappears immediately in Luxembourg, and I don't think that can be taxed. You know, I think... Yeah, we can get Chris to comment on that. Thanks very much, Alan. Good point. Chris, go on. And, and, um, in fact, there are lots of arrangements between the Australian Tax Office and other revenue authorities around the world and those suppliers, such that um, a tax is deducted at source, effectively. Um, So they used to be able to get around it. They can get around it far less easily nowadays. That's good news there. Thanks very much, Alan. And Abdul is our final caller. G'day, Abdul. Uh, g'day, guys. Uh, yeah, I was talking about the the taxing, negative gearing and capital gain tax. It needs to be fairer and they need to chop those tax. Like, you should be able to have only one investment property and the rest is just, you know, subsidising the taxpayers and inflating the house price. Agreed. Uh, yep, Abdul, I think a lot of people right. agree with you, Abdul. Um, why don't they do that then, Chris? Well, I mean, that would be, it seems to me, just having it on uh, one property, that that is something that a lot of people would agree with, that it would be also something the government would be seen to be doing something about it rather than doing nothing about it. Yeah. And, you know, the economic arguments are absolutely solid and there. The problem is the politics. And, you know, somebody always used to say to me, tax is politics with a dollar sign in front. And he's absolutely right with that. Um, it's it's getting the political will to change it. We, we had a wonderful Henry review back in, what, 15 years ago in Australia, which came out with some really sensible suggestions. Um, and guess what? Um, the government at the time, and it was the Rudd government, decided to focus just on that mineral resource rent tax and lost horribly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there were 137 other recommendations they could have chosen. They should have chosen to look at all of them. They just chose to look at one. It was very sad. Right. And that's the political response, unfortunately. One of our texters says, I had to supply my tax file number to eBay for them to forward on to the ATO because I earn more than the threshold. So it does exist for online transactions. Yeah, on selling absolutely. platforms. Uh, other people talking about stamp duty, why pay up front and not over time? Or should it be paid by the seller and not the buyer? That would be interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, there was uh, someone on uh, Nightlife uh, the other day, uh, negative gearing, the figures are minimal in the federal government's income. Lack of housing is the problem. 
We've just yes, touched the surface. Yes, negative gearing contributes to that problem. Very much so. All right. Uh, that is, I think, just about it for this morning. There's so much more we could talk about, and Chris, I hope we get the chance to do that again. But thank you. We've got so many more calls than usual, which is great, and I uh, hope that uh, you know we're all a little bit wiser about the tax system at the moment. And thank you so much for your time. No, it's been a pleasure. Isn't that great? Uh, Professor Chris Evans from the New South Wales University School of Business. He is the Emeritus Professor of Taxation, former head of the Australian School of Taxation, was Inspector of Taxes for the Inland Revenue in the UK as well. And fantastic. Explained so much of it in clear and simple language. After the latest ABC News, though, we are uh, finding out about the finance. And then Angela coming in New Zealand after the latest ABC News. abc.net.au slash local. News. Recipes. Sport. Your favourite programs. And more. For the latest, log on to abc.net.au slash local. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.